Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast. The podcast about the beautiful club... Within the beautiful game, with me, your host, Russell Guyver, and my co-host, Peter Marsh. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. How are you doing? Good. I'm very good. And we have two guests with us, so I'm regular contributors, in fact. Uh, uh, one and also sponsor, which is Mr. Raymond Wright, the gent. Hello, Raymond. Good evening, uh, Russell. And uh, uh, if I can start by, you seem to have a very special drink in your hand that comes from Matoma Land, if I'm correct. It does indeed, yes. I've got a um, a nice large glass of uh, whiskey here, uh, Toki Suntory Whiskey. Japanese whiskey is the place to go outside of these aisles if you want a decent, um, well, decently distilled bit of discerning uh, fare. And it's my first whiskey on a pod, I think, um, but it won't be my last. I, I do love a bit of whiskey. And it's, it's these warm winter nights, you know, uh, they're warm when I've started drinking the whiskey, that is. Cold otherwise. Yes, indeed, Raymond. Yeah. And we, we've also got Sam drinking a beer from Beak Brewery in Lewis. Uh, it's Alan Dodd. Hi, Alan. Hi there. How you doing? Yes, I've got my Beak Brewery. In fact, I've got this tin. I bought this in the local supermarket in Surrey, actually. Oh, nice. It's, uh, from, yeah, it's from the Beak Brewery, which is where we uh, we met up for end of, air end, end of season piss up, if you remember. Yes, indeed. Um, Vaguely. <laughs> Um, yeah. The early part of it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this one, this one's called Heroes Coconut Porter, six percent. So, uh, yeah. So I'm sorry if I, I start to slur even more by the end of the uh, podcast. Yeah. Well, Raymond's on um on some Harvey's as always, good lad. And yeah. Peter, yeah, some Albion, some Albion ale. So uh, Albion ale, know, obviously appropriate for uh, a Rice and Rock podcast about the beautiful club. Lovely. And Peter. You're uh, drinking, what are you drinking? Tea? Tea, yeah, shocking, isn't it? Are you feeling all right? <laughs> I know, it's quite disgraceful, isn't it? I'm, uh, yeah, letting um, the side down. Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't want to say, but yes, it's a complete it, upside down. Isn't Peter being woke? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, but you, you, could, you, could, you could be the, uh, we've got a local brewery where I live uh, called Tongan, 
Common uh, Brewery, which is uh, what it's called, the Hogsback Brewery, but they do a, a particular beer called Tea, which is Common English Ale. So it could have been could have been that. So usually I would drink yeah, a, a pint of tea. Sad, mm. Sadly, it's not though. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, just as a small aside, I've just finished a conversation from a cousin of mine who has heard recently, I've been told recently, that drinking green mint tea is not only very good for the heart but also good for people who might be suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's. So to prevent the onset of, um, and being able to remember all those fantastic moments of supporting the Albion, drink green mint tea. Yeah, or pints of tea. <laughs> no, um, yeah. I don't, I'm not over keen on that, actually, that beer. It's nothing special, is it, the old um, the, that, that tea? But the interesting one Roman's on about, yeah, it's kind of curious. Yeah. Well, on to tonight's subjects, um, or subjects, um, we're going to talk because I suppose we have to, about the Wolves match. Um, not the most inspiring of occasions. Um, we're going to talk about uh, James Milner achieving his, um, well, um, second place status within uh, the all-time Premier League appearance holders record list um, and various other bits, um, signings, potential and happening, and various other bits besides. Um, so that is on the agenda today. So, first of all, then, the Wolves game. Let's get it over with, shall we? Um, it wasn't the worst-case scenario. We did get a draw. Um, it was another goalless draw, so we still not scored a Premier League goal this year yet. Um, but we did get a clean sheet for the second time in a row, which is at least something. Um, the team lineup was stealing goal. We had Hinchelwood at right-back, Estabinian at left-back, Duncan Van Hecker in the centre-back roles, Grosh Gilmore and Milner in midfield, with Joao and um, well back up front, Wenonote in, in behind him as well. Um, lacking width was the main issue. We're, if you look at our injuries at the moment, we've got, if you take out the equation, Veltman and Igor, the two defenders, we've got five players who are either wide men or who can play wide who are still injured um, in our list of seven. Uh, obviously, Mitama, who's injured and would be on the Asian Cup duty otherwise. Adingra, who has been injured, apparently has come on and played a short amount of time in the latest game in their African Cup of Nations campaign over there, Ivory Coast, although it sounds like they won't be there for long the way they're playing. Um, March, of course, out for the season, and Fatty and Nciso still injured, although Nciso apparently quite close, uh, sorry, Fatty quite close to a return, maybe Nciso as well, actually. But anyway, as for this game, yeah, that, that was the lineup. Baker Boate came on in injury time, Lalana. Webster came on in the 72nd minutes, um, Lamptey and Ferguson earlier than that in the 65th minutes. Lamptey back from injury at least. That's one good thing. Um, not much more positive to say apart from the clean sheet, was there? Um, other than the fact that Peter, you and I, and I think Alan possibly as well, and definitely Raymond, didn't bother going to the game. <laughs> I think we we called a good one there, didn't we? It was on TV. It was a weekday evening. And I'm budgeting for Europe. I think you are as well, aren't you, Pete? And um, Alan, you didn't go either, did you, Alan? I did not. I did go. Yes. Oh, you did go. Ah, right. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Ah, no, I had, uh, yeah, I took my wife uh, to Eastbourne, my old home hometown. She went to see her sister, so uh, hmm. yes, yeah, so I drove down there beforehand, and uh, and then drove back and met up with Dave, Dave Townsend um, at the Swan. Well, we, we, I picked him up from Pevensey and drove over there, so it was nice. Yeah. And yeah, that was. Uh, it was uh, quite a good, good, good night out, apart from the game itself. What <laughs> <laughs> the result? It's, uh, yeah, yeah, we've got this thing, haven't we? Where um, at the moment, <laughs> a lot of a lot of good passing play. I mean, we we are we still look exceptionally good when we're passing the ball around, intricate little balls, 
here and there going in between players, finding space. The whole build-up's great. And even in the final third, we're doing almost Barcelona circa 2010 style kind of passing into the lines and finding little little nooks and crannies to keep the passing moves going. But ultimately, despite doing that extra bit, we're still not getting the final ball through. It just didn't seem to break for us, did it? We just couldn't find the space. We certainly lacked for the for, for the wide angle on things. Um, but intensely frustrating, even though it's a better kind of standard of football than we, we've we had in the past, perhaps. Um, Peter? Yeah, I think the, the big problem for me was, yeah, obviously the lack of width was huge. But given that, I don't understand why we didn't take more shots. I mean, there was an obvious one at the end where Pedro should have shot in the area, clearly. But generally, why not take more pot shots from outside the area? If it's not quite working, if we can't quite play the final ball, take a shot. It might take a deflection. It might, might you know, the keeper might miss it or something. You know, it's worth a go. Give it a go. And that's where I think, especially we miss NC so because he's one who is happy to take a shot um, and give a, give it a go. But, yeah, he, he would have been a real bonus on, on today, on Monday. And, yeah, I think we just, we, sometimes we just, it is a little bit like Arsenal of the old days at, at times. We just want to pass it in and get the perfect goal and actually sometimes just take a shot. Especially someone like Pedro, who's been so good in front of goal recently and should be so confident. I don't understand why he didn't shoot first time pretty much in that one in the area later on. Yeah, well, we'll go, we'll go to Roman next because, I mean, Roman, I don't know if you'd agree with that, but I, I think the frustration for me is that Mittimer has been off colour and I think has suffered for not having Purvis there. As soon as Purvis is back, Mittimer's injured and that, that side of it hasn't helped. And CISO, certainly that Peter's mentioned, he can open up games from out the blue, can't he, as well. It's, it is frustrating. And ironically, Arsenal scored five goals against Palace. Poor old Palace. We'll talk about them later as well. But... um. But yeah, I mean, generally they have had some problems with that Arsenal, and we have as well, certainly at the moment. Um, would you go along with that? And what, what else do you want to say on the matter? I think I would in general. I mean, not so much that we didn't have width. The problem is the width that we had was um, the best way I think I can describe it is I went to Italy at one time, one of the early times, and I asked, I was working out of one of the top international counting firms' offices. And I asked the secretary there to organise me to uh, get a train somewhere. And I asked her to get me on the express train. What I didn't understand is in Italy, express is the dead slow one and stops at every station. Then you have this, uh, the rapide, which is the semi-fast, and the super rapide, which is the quick. And I felt that we were on the equivalent of the express train in Italy and stopping at every station. And there was one good example quite early on where... Um, the ball went up to, to Milner. Uh, Estepinen came and he got the ball to Estepinen, who ran beyond him, got the ball back to Milner. And Milner had a good chance to actually cross the ball. This was about 20 minutes into the match. And then didn't. And Estepinen had taken some of the defences, uh, of the defence with him in his run, and pulled them out of position so there was more space in the centre. And there was a lack of pace that was, of, there wasn't anybody who could run until Lamptey came on to, who could actually use his pace at the defence. And without Adringa, Patty, and Siso, Mitoma, etc., or March, we haven't had any pace in the attacking areas. Um, and the only person with any pace up there was uh, was Pedro. And I don't think that Pedro is a what I call a fox-in-the-box type striker. 
he isn't going to suddenly get on the end of something quickly a la Jimmy Greaves or somebody of that sort of nature or Defoe or any of those sort of players. And that a couple of, I mean, Peter's already referred to it, that he couldn't understand why he didn't shoot. And I think there were a couple of occasions, one in the first half or beginning of the second half, where he got the ball and it was a really good ball, I think, by Gilmore through to him. And he, he took a touch, which wasn't the greatest touch, rather than shooting the first time. And then there's another one towards the end of the game. And the sort of reluctance to shoot. And, and we still had 11 shots, which was more than, um, uh, than they did, and more than Wolves did. But nonetheless, as Peter, I think, quite rightly says, we could have shot more. And I just think that there was a reluctance. And if we'd just got that one goal up, I don't you know, think that I think we would have won. And uh, I mean, 72% possession, 90% uh, passing accuracy. Um, you know, there were a lot of good things. And incidentally, you said we hadn't scored, uh, you know, in the Premier League this year. But equally, we haven't conceded in the Premier League this year. And one of the things I've noticed is that because we haven't got the wingers, that the opposition full-backs are pushing up more, and therefore it's squeezing the space around the halfway line. When If somebody like Steele does a long clearance, therefore it's harder for him to use the long clearance as a let-out. And, and, uh, and Jane was, was saying that she noticed every time that he was kicking, it wasn't every time, but most of the times when he was doing the long kicks, we were losing the ball. Hmm. And I think he, he succeeded with six out of 14 long kicks. Um, and just clearly wasn't working. And I think it's because they can't, didn't want to give the space for somebody like like Mitomo or a drinker to run on to behind, that, that they could relax. Because Milner, what pace he had, he certainly hasn't got. Mm, and yeah. Mitchell is, 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 is a good player, good all-round player. But, I mean, obviously, midfield is, well, I can see midfield's is probably more natural position because he hasn't really got the pace of somebody who's used to going down out wide uh, and, and attacking a full-back and getting into the space. And that's just lack of experience in the position. So it's understandable. And Gross isn't the quickest thing. And uh, the only other person who demonstrated any pace in the, in the match, I thought, was Gilmore, who had a couple of good runs. One particularly in the box he, that he won a foul from, um, and, which we didn't make the best use of when, when that free kick came in. But it's I think it was just the lack of pace in the side, full stop, and intensity. I, I would use that word as well. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let's. I know Peter wants to come in as well, but let's go to Alan next. Let's bring you into the equation, sir. And um, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think a few observations really. Uh, number, I think uh, Gary O'Neill had them well organised. Uh, I think that's part of, part of the issue as well. I mean, he, he did what a lot of a lot of teams are doing to us. At home, you know, well organised, keep playing quite deep at the back, and then trying to catch us on the break, uh, closing down the, the angles really quite a lot. Uh, and I'd agree with Peter about taking shots. Uh, there's a few occasions where I felt they, they could have taken a bit of a pop shot. I think Miller had a chance in the first half. The other player I think uh, um, that I'm a little bit not concerned about, but I think he is improving. But I think there's something that he's lacking. That is uh, Bowen Nossi. I think he does kind of get does get the ball in some good positions sometimes and maybe if he could take a bit of a snapshot rather than playing the simple ball um, I think he should try that I'm not sure whether that's in his armoury really but that's something he, he, he's got the, the speed of mind to do I'm not sure 
but uh, that's that's another observation. Another one was that like, it looked as though they've been practicing some new um, set piece routines. Oh, it, they have this kind of um, combination of uh, Purvis and Gross at corners, um, where Purvis was actually taking the corner rather than Gross, just to keep keep the opposition thinking a little bit about what, what was going to happen. And, and actually, Purvis puts a few nice uh, uh, crosses crosses through, which is quite good. Um, yeah, so I think it was disappointing. I mean, I, I've got quite flat at the end. I haven't actually watched the highlights. <laughs> I don't know why, I just, I just don't want to watch them really. Uh, it's, it's almost like a defeat for me, unfortunately. Um, yeah. no. They were quoting, if I can just interject for a second, they were quoting before the game or somewhere uh, or, or during it the high passing accuracy of, of Van Heck on the commentary. And uh, they were saying that Van Heck's passing accuracy the season is higher than, than Rodgers and Manchester City, which was clearly intended as high praise. And uh, and he is actually, um, you know, doing very well. I mean, even in this match, by his standards, only ninety percent sort of passing accuracy. But a lot of matches, he's getting about ninety four percent, and they're not just the sideways ones to dunk. I mean, in in the West Ham match. He tried three long passes and, and actually found his target in all three. Um, so, you know, that's obviously very encouraging that he's, uh, you know, that he's doing some. And also, for, I know Russell, you and I had a conversation. We were uh, a couple of weeks ago after the West Ham game and we were trying to remember the last Brighton centre back who'd done the sort of run that Van Heck did to, to set up the Pedro's fourth, our fourth hit and Pedro's second goal in the cup match. And I think we were both agreed last time it was Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, sort of 44 years ago or something. So, um, I mean, Van Heck seems to just, in a sense, get better and better as a player. Yeah. Peter? I was going to say, Dunk did a similar run for his goal at Fulham, didn't he, in that league game in the promotion season? He beat a few players to that knockout and then got the, headed in the rebound afterwards himself. So that was a pretty good run. Um, in terms of Wolves, I think, I think the, the, I, I'm not as negative as, or not, not as disappointed as I think Alan is. Maybe because partly I didn't waste an evening and go to the game. <laughs> That's part of the reason. Um, and to kept my leave back for other, other options. Um, but I think my more positivity is down to the fact that Wolves are one of the top form teams in the league. Yeah, um, they looked dangerous on the on the counter. I thought we we were we had some big gaps and actually still had a really good game, made some good saves. Yeah. And I think the big thing for me is interesting thing for me is that if you look at the Wolves away game, they actually had equally good chances and didn't take them either. And at one nil, they had some really good chances to make it one all. And it was only we we, we were arguably a bit fortunate to go in at half time one up still, and then obviously routed them in those ten minutes second half. So they're not a bad team, Wolves. And people you know they're only three points behind us. We're not. It's not a terrible result. We got we got a draw. We didn't concede. That was a big thing. The longer it went on, you could see them nicking it on the break. So mm-hmm. we held firm. We didn't concede. And we got a point, and I actually don't think it's a bad result considering the players we've got out, especially in attacking positions. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good point because I, I think Wolves are a very good team. So, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gary O'Neill's a, a good manager. I think he was unlucky at Bournemouth to to lose the job. Yes, Bournemouth have taken the gamble and it's working so far, I think. They, they're doing well. But Gary O'Neill's a good manager. We've seen some of the 
tactical discussions that have been broadcast on Sky, I think it was, and he looked pretty impressive from that. But just generally, he sets the teams up very well. They're incredibly well-organised, incredibly well-disciplined. Offensively, they were superb. I mean, they really... We, we were, as I said, we were... Well, barring probing, one thing. Barring one thing, yeah. But we were probing into those little spaces. As I said, the passing, even into the final third, was good apart from the final pass. And we were almost opening them up. But they were so good, they just could we just couldn't break through them. Mm-hmm. And I think actually some of the other teams that have sat deep would have crumbled the way we played last um, the, the last match on Monday night. Uh, but I think Wolves are just too good for that, and it was going to take something special out of the blue, um, or just a, a very singular chance that need to be taken, like the Joao Pedro thing you mentioned earlier uh, towards the end of the game to break through. They had a couple of players out injured, but they also had. Uh, of key players, I mean, but they also had Neto back for the first time since I think it was October, and he, he's a he's a good player, isn't he? He's That's a very good player. Yeah. He's rapid as well. You could see our our defence down the left hand side inside channel of our defence right hand attacking channel of their of their, their attack um, was was just looking under threat when he was running there. He was beating our guys easily for pace, and they're not slow. They're not they're not as rapid as some, but they're they're not slow defenders. Um, but he's he's a he's a genuine threat. They're they're very potent. Um, Deserby mentions that um, I think he listed three or four players, uh, Sarabia being one of them, obviously Neto and a couple of others. And he was talking mainly about the attackers when he referenced who was a danger and who was an impressive player for them. They're a very good team and they're in form, as you said. I think it's a decent result. It's frustrating because it's yet another draw at home in a match where we might have won. Um, but I don't think you can compare it with the the Fulhams and the Sheffield Uniteds um, of this season so far. Uh, Peter, back to you. Yeah, I was just completely going to say exactly that, that it's not Sheffield United or Burnley. Yeah, it's, this is a, I mean, Fulham were on pretty poor form, as you say, as well, when we played them. Wolves aren't, aren't like that. They're not, and we didn't go ahead as well. So it's not like we're Sheffield United, but we should have held on and Wolves and Fulham. So yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I think in the end, I was quite glad of the final whistle in some ways because we were, they looked very dangerous in the break and it was just their finishing in front of goal that really, really cost them. And obviously they were missing Huang, who was their top scorer this season for that. Absolutely. And uh, he's one of the key players. Yeah. And uh, and also O'Neill's not had the, the full benefit of a proper summer prep either. Let's keep that in mind. And if uh, and so, they, you know, it took a little bit of time to get in their stride. They're a little bit unlucky in certain games. Maybe you could argue against us earlier in the season. They lost Neves as well. Los Neves, who's a massively big player for them and scores all sorts of dangerous goals from range, the sort of goals that could have decided a game on Monday. Um, but also, um, you know, they, if they'd have won the game, which they could easily have done, they would have been goal difference behind us, assuming they didn't thrash us about 7-0. Um, they would have been goal difference behind us. And, you know, they're in the same general envelope as us at the moment, given that um, we, we couldn't really get the uh, game over the line. But they're a really good side. And Alan, I know you wanted to come in and then we'll go to Raymond. But Alan, yeah, do you want to come back in first? <clears> yeah, I think just picking up. I, mean, I was disappointed because obviously we just come back from this two, two week break and everybody was kind of built up for it. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of get, 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 get things started and game with another win. I think by the end of the game, near the end of the game, I, I, I mean, I'll sit next to Andy Bravery and, uh, we both kind of said, oh, well, I think we'd be glad for a point here. I think by the end of the game, yeah, we're just pleased to get away with uh, not conceding a late goal. There's one interesting move, I think, near the end where, where I think, um, Neto and Cunha kind of had a one-two and Cunha got free. The ball kind of went, went out to the, to the right. And, 
fortunately, uh, Jason Steele picked up on that quite quickly and rushed out really fast and kind of forced Cunha away from the goal, which meant that Cunha kind of had to, a very tight angle, which he obviously missed, missed the target. Uh, and that was kind of partly because, obviously, at that point, I think um, Estupi had been taken off and we had lacked a little bit of pace on that left-hand side where, you know, Neto and was operating quite a lot. Um yeah, so it was a little bit disappointing. It's interesting with Wolves. I think their next game is actually against Manchester United at home. And I don't know if you remember that um, at the beginning of the season or the game before the, the game before they played us when we beat them four two, they mm. played United and they had that that game which was very controversial where they should have won where they performed really well. Oh but, yes, uh, yeah. that was, I think that was Gary O'Neill's first game. I think at United and uh, and so it'd be interesting to see how they go against Manchester United. Because obviously. You know, I mean, it's down to us to keep winning ourselves. I mean, we shouldn't worry about looking behind it, behind us, really, looking over our shoulder at Wolves. Yeah, we've got to hope that, you know, they, they kind of take some points off, uh, off United if we can. So, uh, that would be an interesting game. Yeah. And of course, United, we've gone ahead of them on goal difference as a result of that game on Monday. Um, I suppose we could probably do with another draw between those two teams, ideally. Um, but if Wolves won it, I guess that wouldn't, wouldn't be so bad either. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not so bad overall. Um, Raymond, back to you. Yeah, I mean, Neto seems to start over on their left flank attacking, and then got moved to the right. Hmm. But they seem to he seemed to get more more space there, which was interesting. Um, if Wolves had beaten us, that would have been the first time that they've won four league matches in, in the top division since 1972 in a row. Oh. So, so that shows you how good their form was. That yeah. they were back. I mean, bear and, in mind um, we've we've been a bogey team for them, and we've beaten them four times in a row, actually, uh, in matches between the two sides. Yeah. So they've quelled that as well, haven't they? Yeah, as as it is, though, we're def- it's the first time we've got nine unbeaten at home in the top flight, isn't it? I think it was. Yeah, that was what. Yeah, a lot of draws in that, but still, nine top flight games in a row unbeaten at home, still pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, the problem is that we're, we've now drawn. I think eight games out of whatever the number is, uh, 21, which is more than any other team in the league. And it's just having that extra clinical finisher. Uh, I still feel to a degree that all the rotation that we've done ha- has not has not helped people build up partnerships. And I think that makes a difference. You know, that, that, that in, in the final ball, just the understanding of where somebody's going to be rather than actually having to get it actually to him. It's being able to pass the ball in, into the space in front of the player rather than at him. Um, and I think it would be interesting to see to what extent we get more more continuity of selection going forward. Mm. And I actually thought, I know Welbeck had one good shot which was deflected over and I think would have been on target. But I thought Welbeck was um, slightly disappointing. I mean, Pedro might not have shot on things, but I thought... He sort of came on. He seems to have this habit of come on, on onto a game in the second half. Pedro, and, but but Welbeck didn't seem to come onto a game. If that makes sense, yeah. um, which I thought was disappointing because he he arguably looked sharper when he first came back from injury than he looks now. I mean that that header he scored that goal um, you know, when he first came back was a you know, top class, you know, world class header. We haven't really seen a, a, a finish of that quality of problem. I mean, be it saved or, or just missed, 
really since, which I think is a shame. I called up with a... Sorry, go on. I was going to just say, I'd quite like to see Ferguson have a a sort of a a consistent run of games with with Pedro to see how they could form a partnership. Yeah. On the the matter of Welbeck's header, I was listening to... I was catching up with a few podcasts from recently, and um, Palace were pretty complimentary about us in the uh, aftermath of the one-all. They were saying we were streets ahead of them in terms of quality and and class and that sort of thing in terms of our on-field play. And they were very complimentary about that header, saying you can't have a better header than that, really. With the tiniest of small little margins of um, success, it had to be right in the top corner, and it was. Mm. And um, and I think they they had no complaints, really. They were quite glad to get away with the point. Anyway, that's uh, that's obviously in the past. Uh, Peter and Alan both wanted to come in. Let's go to you first, Peter, then. Um, I was just going to say, I think the draw thing is easily explained by the number of European games we've had and the injury list. And I think we're just maybe lack, lacking. Ferguson's not really hit top form since that Newcastle game, arguably. He got injured after that and he's been ill, I think, as well at one point. And I think he's not quite connected in terms of being sharp. He's had a couple of really good goals where he's taken them well. But in terms of his overall play, he's not quite hit the heights of last season at times. And that may be also partly because players have been not around. And to be honest, Raymond, in terms of partnerships, I take your point. But then Newcastle, the other way around, they play the same team constantly, and they and they you know they lost a lot of players to injuries, and they basically not changed unless they absolutely have to, and they've struggled a lot as well, and are below us with a better squad on paper in terms of the money they've spent on it and that sort of thing. So I'm I I think I can I understand the goalkeeping moving it around, but I don't necessarily think the rest of the team. There's certain areas where like the Van Hecker and Dunk is pretty much set now, and Gilmore and Grosh is pretty much set. Everywhere else, we've had a lot of injuries. I don't really think we could have been that consistent in our selection. We've had players out a lot of the time. I don't think you can particularly... Yeah, I think we can... There's a limit to what we could have done. And I think later in the season, hopefully, the fact that a lot of our players have missed quite a bit of the season will then come good because, well, we won't have the players who are looking dead in their feet like they did in our April-May last year when we just about struggled over the line in the end, didn't we? Generally, yeah. with um, with a lot of players out. I agree with that, and I, 100%. And I think... um We've seen the Eddie Howe or Bit Eddie Howe um, style has in the past with Bournemouth. As I said, the season they got promoted, he went gung ho with the same strong teams in the cups. They, he went on good cup runs in both of those tournaments, got lucky with no injuries, and got the success, got promotion, and built on it from there. But with this, you've got an extra campaign uh, at a much more intense level, i.e., the Premier League, and um, it, it's come home, it's come back to haunt him, and it's not a surprise. It could do for him because. If there's a run of results now that um, go badly for Newcastle, I don't know how patient the owners will be. But um, in the longer term, I think what we've done with rotation is a painful process, but I think it's a necessary one given the European campaign. We've seen what happens the other way around with with Eddie Howe's team. But um, I want to go to Alan because I know you you wanted to come in as well, Alan. Yeah, just just want to... Sorry, yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, Yeah, I'm just going to mention really, uh, it's nice to see Tarek come on. Hmm. Uh, which is unfortunately he didn't really get the ball much. Uh, we still focused there a lot of their attention on the, on the, on, on their left hand side rather than finding, finding, uh, good, uh, action moves for him to get involved on the right hand side. But it's good to see him play and also the fact that he played further up front, uh, more of a winger really with the injury wood behind him. So that was an interesting, uh, interesting thing that, uh, deserve a try. Yeah. Um, um... <clears throat> Yeah, and also the other thing I was going to say, I mean, I've been tracking, uh, if you like, um, yeah, air performance this year compared to the same as, same uh, fixtures last year. And I think at the moment, unfortunately, with teams that are, you know, obviously were in the, 
in the Premier League last season where uh, minus eight points, eight, minus eight points at the moment uh, against the Brilliant Pictures. They were plus one at home and uh, minus seven away. Um, so that, I mean, that's really showing us, that, you, know, you know, why we're seventh and where we are. But we can't complain where we're seventh. We're still within touching distance of the European spot. We just got to put a run of run of uh, wins together, and we we could be back up there. So uh, yeah, I think you know, things are going well. So um, gradually, yeah. gradually get those players back bit by bit, um, and obviously one or two new signings as well, which we'll talk about later. But on the Lamptey matter, I mean, I'm delighted he's back. I mean. Please, please, can he stay fit just yeah. for one period now? Because, I mean, we've seen what he's capable of doing. Roberto De Zerbi said that um, he is a key player, a very important player for us. Um, whatever you, that means, you can you know, you can draw your own conclusions. But obviously, he sees him as a key component of this squad, if and when fit. And just the way he was warming up, he looked really up for it in terms of, you know, he's springing up with his, you know, jumping in the air with his legs. I've not seen people jump with their legs that high in the air since I got too impatient in a bar a few weeks ago waiting to get served. You know, it's it's kind of, it's impressive. It's really, it probably <laughs> leapt in the air there. Um, but I think that's that's great. The other thing I wanted to ask you, though, Alan, was um, with regard to the atmosphere, do you think that there's a bit of a malaise in the, it sounded pretty quiet from the TV, obviously because I wasn't at the game unusually, I didn't get the proper comparison <laughs> you, you would have done. Um <laughs> Is, is there a bit of a malaise going on there in terms of you know, knowing how results have gone for us with a lot of draws against um, you know, against low blocks and that kind of thing? Uh, it- I think I think really the Albion crowd. We I mean generally we respond to uh, you know to to the action and, and, and really good chances. And yeah. whereas it wasn't there wasn't as many really. It was uh, and, and as the game progressed, it, it got quieter and quieter. And um, it was disappointing when we. We kind of earned the. Uh, we're in a library from the uh, from the war supporters, which is yeah. Not, if only not well, a nice thing to hear. So yeah, should Bueno not have gone with his foot for that early chance instead of sort of leaning in and heading it? It got cleared off the line, but it never sat, seemed like a threat, did it? Had that gone in, maybe you know it could change matters. And hopefully, when we play Palace in an, an upcoming home game, we'll get an early goal because we really need that mm. to do what we all want to do, which is to get that revenge. Um, yeah. before, too late before they get relegated one year. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about with the Wolves game, but first of all, Peter, you wanted to come back in, didn't you? Yeah, I just wanted to um, say, I mean, in terms of the malaise, I mean, it's, the Tottenham game was a great atmosphere, though, so I think that kind of backs up what Alan was saying in a way. The crowd kind of react to the to what's happening, and I think there's a lot of people probably didn't go on Monday, so maybe they were more like day trippers or something like that instead, possibly, sort of a thing. But also, I think it's mainly just that, yeah, the crowd need something to get engaged with. And the Tottenham game was a really good atmosphere, I thought. And, you know, a lot of goals, a lot of action. I mean, it was, in, it was that opposite of really on Monday, wasn't it? It was a, it was a, um, a proper, like, yeah, end-to-end thriller, whereas this one was just basically a bit dull. And I think, yeah, the some clubs, probably Marseille fans would have been jumping up and down, back to, it's like making noise all game. But generally, most teams at home in a boring nil-nil probably don't make that much noise. And... The Wolves fans weren't that loud either, so it's like, well... Yeah. And Raymond? I just wondered if the crowd haven't thawed out from the cold snap. <laughs> yes, it's been pretty cold, hasn't it? Yeah. I was up in Northumberland, and it was minus seven when I was doing a bit of stargazing outside a pub um, on, a, on a freezing midweek uh, evening. I thought, what am I doing here? It was beautiful, actually, but it was uh, it was very cold. And um, I, I suppose it was a bit warmer by Monday, but not much. Um in terms of final word I wanted to say on the game, though, just before we break for half-time, uh, Gareth Barry 
um, is the top Premier League appearance holder at the moment with 653. He's got an Albion connection, of course. He was on our youth ranks before being snapped up by Villa, and that's a sore point from the past. James Milner has moved into second place after Monday. He's gone. He was tied with Ryan Giggs in second place. He's now gone into clear, uh, uh, clear second place with 633 Premier League appearances since Sky invented football in 1992. Um, so he's he's 20 behind Barry, uh, 21 away from overtaking him. He's obviously not going to be able to do that mathematically this season, but he's been involved in exactly two-thirds of Albion's Premier League games, 14 out of 21. Um, his contract runs out at the end of this season, but I fully think that he will get kept on for another season. He may not play as many games next year, but I've got a feeling he might just crawl over the line next year with us, which would be brilliant to be part of um, such a milestone. Incredible achievement. Just to go through the list, Barry's on 6 through 5 3 Milner's on 633, Ryan Giggs 632. You've then got Lampard on 609, and David James completing the top five at 572. And the late great Gary Speed is after that, a couple, another 20 or so, uh, or 17 behind that. Um, incredible achievement. Obviously, a bit of a downbeat interview after the game when they talked to him about it, because, of course, when all said and done, he wants a good result to be talking about. That would have changed his mood when talking on that subject. So he was quite modest, but probably just through. The, the, the means of the result that we've had that night. But um, it's an incredible achievement, isn't it? I mean, uh, Raymond, do you want to go in on that first? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, I, I think uh, somebody was saying on on the Soul website that uh, they think there's a one-year option, one-year with a one-year option um, to extend. Hmm. And I, I wonder to what extent whether he'll get the, the, the one-year option might, might depend on the Lana, because I'm just wondering whether Lana will hang up his boots and just concentrate on on coaching after this season. And I think to have two sort of mid thirties, thirty plus type people at the end of their career taking up a space in the squad might be one one too many. But if Lana has moved into coaching, I think keeping Milner as an experienced player on the pitch and one who, you know, as you pointed out, done fourteen out of twenty one games. Uh, in, in the PL tends to stay fit more often than he isn't. Um, I think Milner might be the you know, might be the better option because we have got apart from Vulanotti playing at, at number ten, which Lana obviously can do. We have Insise who can come in there. Pedro can play there. Um, it looks as if we, we and if we were to keep Fatty, obviously big question mark. Fatty can certainly play there. Probably the, our best option at number ten when fit at the moment for this season. Um, you know, there's less need for Lalana, but having somebody who can play sort of further forward on the left or the right for that matter, not so much at fullback, but can do a job in an emergency. I think actually there is a role and he still seems to be fit enough um, to do so. As I'm saying earlier, he might have lost a bit of pace, but, but he's still got the mentality. He still reads a game well. And his experience on the pitch to help the other youngsters, I think, is invaluable. So I think he gets the extra year. Well, I think we'll give the final word to Peter in a minute. But just to quote uh, Milner from uh, his interview with TNT Sports, he said, I've had some luck. So obviously, if you have in terms of injuries, um, I've worked hard and you have to enjoy it to put the work in every day. I've hopefully got a few more games in me. So um, he has been lucky. I suppose injuries and also 
being able to continually get picked for Premier League uh, teams. He's played for various clubs, hasn't he? And um, I think that spell with Liverpool, when he's already well over 30 at that stage, is pretty impressive. Um, and obviously now to continue it even further with us. Um, yeah, I think um, he has had some luck along the way. He obviously made his debut when he was only 16 for Leeds. And he's been there for pretty much the entirety of the Premier League, which is madness. He's, what, 38 years old now? So it's a 22-year career which has allowed him to be able to get to that that number. Um, but, um, yeah, Peter, Peter, final word for you. I was going to say, of course, he did have a loan spell at Swindon during which he played at the uh, with Dean, didn't he? With Dean. Oh, yes. When he was, um, when he was first at Leeds. So, um, yeah, just picking up on the number 10 thing, I think you're missing someone very important in the number 10 role, mainly because he's, kind of, he's kind of been forgotten because he plays everywhere else. But I think our best number 10 is Pascal Grosch. And I don't, and I think that one the big issue for me this season is we haven't had a defensive midfielder in there, which then means he has to play further back and sit back. And him and Gilmore are neither of them defensive midfielders, which means there's been that big gap between central defence and, def- and midfield, which has meant that we're really exposed at the back and teams are creating chances. And yeah. that's been the problem that we've had all season that we've talked about that we've not replaced Casado effectively. Belaber's not quite done it yet. He is. 19, it's not surprising that, you know, given his experience that he's not come in and done that. Um, but yeah, for me, Pascal Grosch is our best number 10. Behind him, I got the I'd say NC so given the form he was in you know, when he got injured. Yeah, that's all very good points. And I mean, even though he's he's had to play, have a lot more defensive um, considerations this season, he still scored four, uh, sorry, four goals and nine assists. He's created incredible. And, and, cre- and obviously created a lot of other dangerous chances yeah. that have been put away as well. Isn't it his record still that he's that only only De Bruyne has created more chances in the Premier League since he joined us? Yeah, which is which is insane. I mean, he yeah, which tells you. Um, and they've talked about him a little bit in recent weeks, but it tells you that overall he still is underrated. I think. Yeah. Um, even by Germany, they've started to put him in the in the uh, national team now, but only recently. And I think overall, for some reason, he's just one of those personalities one of those personas, one of those characters who somehow goes under the radar, maybe to his own detriment in terms of um, international call-ups. But um, but overall, he's been arguably our, our greatest ever signing, um, pound for pounds, in terms of value, in terms of longevity, in terms of what he's, what he's given to the game. It's been absolutely sens- a sensational signing. Yeah. He's been absolutely brilliant. I was going to break for half time, but I know Raymond's itching to come back in now. So we'll let you have the final word, Raymond. I agree with Peter about the defensive midfielder. I think that's uh, a very valid point. And uh, say so we haven't replaced Casido, um, and it's it, it does it has made a difference undoubtedly. And Belieber, as you say, haven't got there yet. And I mean, it took time for both Casido and McAllister to be bedded in, and and it will with Belieber undoubtedly. Um, I think the real disappointment this year, if one had to say there was a disappointment, is Darhoud. And whether they thought would be able to do a job back there, but you know, I mean, he's hardly featuring in the squad, let alone anything else. I'm not even sure if he was on the bench. I don't think he was uh, on uh, on Monday. And that, that was And I think it says it all. And and, and it is the one uh, disappointment. This leads into the second half. I know that I'm pleased that we've got Parker. Actually, I'm slightly disappointed that we haven't tried to get a defensive midfielder. But I think with that defensive midfielder, I think Peter's hit the nail right on the head. I think it would make a huge difference. And I think we would be up in the top four or five, certainly, if we'd had that defensive midfielder. And I'm surprised we're not trying to get one now. And we're doing a bit of a patch-off job 
in, in terms of a defensive midfielder for the, uh, potentially for the rest of the season, which mm. you know, might just stop us uh, achieving a lot. I mean, we, we, we could have, with a defensive midfielder, could have a stellar season. And, you know, there are still 17 matches to go in the PL. There's the Europa League. Hopefully there might be more from the FA Cup, but we don't know. Um, no, there's a, there's a lot to play for. Yeah, indeed. And you've had the final word. And now to give Alan the final, final word in the first half. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to go back to Gross because I, I heard somewhere that Zerby uh, had um, his templates for his team sheets uh, printed out. He's got a little pad. You know, you write down the names of players. And on the template, he had pre-printed Gross at the top. So he didn't have to get, write that particular name. <laughs> yeah. So just just yeah, unclear that's, which that's, position he starts in. <laughs> exactly, but I mean, he's just uh, he, he's always on the team sheet. He, he never be missing. Actually, just to round off, I'm, I'm going to have the final, final, final word. A <laughs> <laughs> bit of Gross, is, Gross and, thumbs up. Gross yes, most thumbs up. Yeah. Around. Uh, it's completely unrelated to the album, but it is related <laughs> to another thing I love. Um, my missus is on the way home from work at the moment as we record this. She sent in a message saying. Uh, it's presumably copied from a social media thing, saying exciting news. Phil Turner of Turner P- Turner's Pies will be on this year's Apprentice. We are thrilled to share some exciting news with you. Our managing director has been selected as a candidate for this year's edition of the Apprentice. Of the Apprentice, as a family-grown business, we couldn't be prouder of his incredible achievement. I, I mean, I don't watch many reality TV programs, but I do watch traitors i've got into this year and the apprentice is good fun for the freak show value but i'm actually going to be genuinely rooting for someone here i think because turner park pies should get them on uh, a sponsorship deal here shouldn't we um but they are fantastic pies uh based in rustington and then broadwater in worthing um they are really nice pies um really it good starts stuff. next week as well the apprentice yeah so i'll be looking forward to that that's great i didn't realize he was on you'll it. probably get knocked out first now well, Russell, the next time you're down seeing your parents, can you buy a couple for us? Uh, I'll, I'll put an order in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, obviously there's a commission involved um, and a referral fee. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fine. Not a problem at all. <laughs> Fifty pound a pie. Yes, yeah. 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 Brilliant yeah. stuff. Right. On that note, we better have a break for half time. In part two, we'll talk about signings, uh, the transfer window, and some other stuff to do with Ivan Tony and Palace and various other bits besides. So, coming up in part two after this short break. And so, to part two of this latest episode, which, by the way, is episode 333, a hat-trick of threes. Uh, it's all about the threes on this episode. Um, three possible signings. That's a tenuous link. Um, one of them is confirmed that we already knew was going to happen, which is Mazilo has officially been confirmed, and he's gone out on loan for the rest of the season to Vitesse Arnhem, which is fine. It's a sensible move. Um, a young winger, an exciting prospect. We've talked about him before, of course, um, but it's good to see that finally over the line. guaranteed. We have finally, and more importantly, because this is one that wasn't confirmed, have got the confirmation that Barco has signed. There was a, um, they they, um, tapped into their inner football manager on the social media announcements, you know, which was quite cool, actually. Uh, One of our better ones, I think. Um, And yeah, he's finally signed. Uh, He's not going to be with us yet because he's involved in the under-23s attempts to qualify for the Olympics, um, which is a massive deal in South America too. So there's no way he was going to miss that. But he will be with us sometime in 
late-ish February, I think. Um, so good news that he's come in as well. And we've also, just this very day, actually, as we're recording Wednesday, um, heard news that Kamari Doyle might be signing for us. According to Football Insider 247.com, for example, um, they say medical begins. Brighton agreed a deal to sign Southampton's sensation, Kamari Doyle. It says they've agreed to sign the starlet, who is undergoing a medical today. Sources have told Football Insider who those sources are, who knows. He's an 18-year-old putting the finishing touches on a permanent move to the Amex Stadium. Um, it's not going to be one for this season, but um, I don't know how true it is or how immediate it really is, but that sounds good news. Peter, you've got your hand up on that one. Yeah, I was, I'm just on the three transfers, really. So I think the interesting thing is that, um, you know, Deserby obviously talks after the Palace game on as well as about wanting a couple of players, ideally experienced players. And we've so far signed a 19-year-old from Argentina. We're linked with an 18-year-old from Southampton and we're, and we're signed a 18 year old from uh, from Romania, so it's uh, not exactly what he was ordering. But um, okay. yeah, Barco, isn't he already for Boca? Yeah, Bar- Barco seems like a really good prospect. Interestingly, a lot of people talk about how he might be a winger rather than a left back. You know, in the yeah. future oh, terms, yes. yeah, yeah, which is he what you know. When we first was linked, he was talked about as being a left back back up to um, Estupinian and potentially a long term successor if he leaves, but. Yeah, at the moment, it sounds like he's just maybe can play there and he can play more left wing and even central midfield as well if needed. Um, James Milner, 20 years younger and more with an, a Spanish accent. Or, or Pascal Grosh, even. And yeah. Kamari does. That sounds like an interesting one. Obviously, we only heard about it today, but he, he made his obviously only first Samson appearance at the Amex last year when they lost 3 1. And he's supposed to be a Samson regard him as being a really good prospect, apparently. So, yeah, I mean, yeah it could be a, potentially a good you, signing. You've the slightly weird thing is... They've not been happy, have they? Yeah. About losing him. Despite um, the fact that he's been injured, he seems to be coming to us allegedly because he's leaving Lampton because he's not got first-team football options there. But he's coming to us, obviously, at division above. So it's, yeah, an odd one. But hopefully looks hopefully ends up being a good signing if he does sign. Um, but yeah, I still think we could do one or two more slightly experienced players this window. As Raymond said, a defensive midfielder would have been great, allowing Grosh to play further forward and freeing up Gilmore a bit as well. And... Uh, Potentially, if Barco's not the left-back option, at a full-back as well. But, yeah, I think probably we're not going to end up signing an experienced player this month. Yeah, Raymond's itching to get in on the, uh, the signings mm. debate. Yeah, well, actually, uh, uh, picking up Peter on the thought of experience, experience is all relative. And I suppose you're 18, 19, you're a hell of a lot more experience than a 10-year-old. So I suppose <laughs> best to watch for comparing somebody to. Um, yeah, it's... I mean, the good thing is that we seem to have actually shown more patience in pursuing Barco than uh, Man City did. And I have to say, you know, given that they're probably the best side in the world at Man City, I mean, that's a feather in our cap. And I do think that we are getting a reputation. And this is why the sales of McAllister and Casido, which in every other respect from our viewpoint, other than financially, uh, 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 was not good. But actually, having those examples and Ben White uh, to be able to point to, that if you come to Brighton you'll get a chance and then you might go on to a really big club makes us attractive. Everybody else says they'll do it. Brighton can demonstrate that they have done it and I think that's a big feather in our cap and I think somebody like Doyle who I believe other people might have been interested in um, he's going to look and say well I, I know I'll get a chance at Brighton at the right time. And I think that's a very good positive. I was talking with Alan earlier this week about Barco. 
And Russell, as you know, I've talked about this, needing a left-back, needing another midfielder, needing another wide attacker. What does Brighton do? We don't go out and buy three players. We buy one who can play all three. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There is that as well. Um, There's one other one, actually, that um, has come to my attention. Friend of the show, Wedge, a.k.a. Andy, um, I don't know where he's got this from or whether there's any truth to it, but he said what I'm going to presume because it's Turkish guy is pronounced Chan Uzan or Chan Uzun, I think. A Turkish under-18 international uh, playing for FC Nuremberg in the second tier of Germany. Um, uh, attacking midfielder, lots of goals. We are in, exclamation mark, apparently 10 million euros plus. I don't know where he's got that from or where there's any... Truth it's been that. on Twitter or X, where it's called today. Oh, it's been rumours. Yeah, I mean, it's actually been knocking around A for the last couple of days, and uh, uh, I can't remember who. It, uh, 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 Barcelona are interested in paying six million, I think it is. I oh, know somebody else. I'm getting mixed up, but there are quite a few top clubs interested in him. But I remember his name coming up back in 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 August. Oh, okay. I missed that at the time, yeah. But um so Chan Uzan or can it spells as can, so can he do a job is probably the pun that we <laughs> I've got to get that out. I'm sorry, someone had to say it and it, of course it had to be me. Um and speaking of of course it had to be me, um and speaking of wolves actually, um you may have noticed my ugly mug appearing briefly in the uh the build up to the game on Monday night. I was on uh, filmed by TNT along with Jack Albion. And also, it looks like one of the guys from uh, Seagull Social. Um, for a, there was a there was a social media thing they put out on X, um, but they did a shortened version of it for the build up to the game pre match for the Brighton Wolves game. We're talking about Albion's where, where we come from and all that stuff, and it spurned a bit of discussion on uh, North Stand Chat, didn't it, Peter? Because you flagged it up and said, "Oh, you're being talked about on North Stand Chat." And considering I never seem to post on there anymore, um, that seems. It was quite offensive as well. Some guy fresh, uh, you know, <laughs> that you're a bit of a pisshead. I mean, it's... No, what the hell do they mean? <laughs> I mean? And you as well. Yeah, I mean, Randy like, said uh, earlier, we, we're getting a bit of a reputation talking about the Albion. Well, I've been getting a reputation for years. I don't see why I should stop now. <laughs> well, I've, 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 I've heard that the, uh, there's, been, there's been a tranche of uh, complaints to the media ombudsman, apparently. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh... <laughs> I'm surprised. I mean, actually, Peter, I can't remember what you said. You sent me a WhatsApp saying, annoyingly, it's actually quite a good piece. I wanted to take the piss and say how badly it came across, but <laughs> it actually was all right. The only annoying bit is I was talking about the Nadir being the um, losing to nine-man Warsaw. That was in the context of talking about the Withdean years, but they've kind of like tagged it into a general discussion. So it made me look like I was thinking that was the worst moment in Albin's history. Of course, we've had far worse moments. Uh, the whole war years to start with, but um, that was quite quite good fun. And um, I mean, well, losing at home to nine men is never good, though, is it? Let's be honest; it's sort of really <laughs> bad. Not when we showed so little threat as well. And it sparked a conversation about how some dread, truly dreadful games. People were talking about the Withdean worst games. I think it was like someone mentioned the game against Mansfield in the cup where we lost two one when they were bottom of the football league and stuff. Yeah, and, 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 I think so, that, it? and the, the EFL trophy game against Luton, actually, ironically, given we're playing them next week, should be quite up there as well. We couldn't beat Luton over, what, 210 bad. minutes when they were bottom of the football league and going out of it. My, my direst one is just the ball draw with, with Rochdale at Priestfield. Where it, it was the most unremarkable event of any sort that I've ever been at by some margin. And that's saying something, you know. Well, the, 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 the nil-nil with Doncaster yeah. should be the same as well. 
because that was the Fans <laughs> United second game and they were like bottom of the league and we were second bottom and nothing happened. I think it was just awful. But it was no, it was a good, it was um, a good piece, actually, not notwithstanding my appearance, but it was actually a really well done piece, which I think really c- captured the the mood of of what it's been for us, Albion lot. And um, I mean, Jack Albion was prominent in it actually, and he's uh, he's pretty good at capturing the capturing the vibe. And we've we've mentioned it before the film, um, Stand or Fall. I think it's I think it's what it's called, isn't it? That's coming out. I suppose it kind of uh, it sort of I wouldn't say goes on the coattails of that because that hasn't really been formally released yet, apart from a premiere. But um, it sort of seems very timely to have that little mini vid for a couple of minutes or whatever it was uh, ahead of the film coming out, which will be good. Yeah. Um. So Alan and Raymond, I know you both wanted to come in. Uh, let's go with who was first. I don't know. Go with Alan. Go with Alan first. All right, Alan. No, I, no, I was just going to say. Uh, um... Mention the word fans united. It's nice to see um, the banner at the ground. Uh, it's yes. supportive. It's supportive. Reading, which is uh, yeah. there's comments made by Reading fans as well, saying they appreciate yeah. it. We've yeah. had our differences, haven't we, in, in divisional rivalries and stuff. But you know, when it comes down to it, you don't want to see owners like that who are just refusing, despite being very wealthy men, refusing to pay wages, screwing around with general normal company running costs protocols. Uh, not paying wages on time, you know, if you can't do that, you should never have got into it in the first place. Or if you found yourself in that position, you should have got out sooner. And I've got every sympathy with Reading fans. Uh, we'll come to Ray- Raymond in a minute, but I think Peter wants to tag on to that. I was going to say, just very quickly on that, I think, didn't he fail the Premier League's fit and proper person test and then somehow pass the EFL's one? He tried to take over someone like, someone who was in the Premier League, like Harlow, like that in the old days or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Failed their test, but somehow passed an EFL one, and um, which is yeah crazy. I mean, how did he? Yeah, how yeah. can he you'd be fit to, to run a, a league club but not a Premier League club? Well, I suppose the simple answer to that is the Premier League have their own remit, and it's it's, it's PSR, so uh, profit and sustainability rules, and the EFL's got FFP, um, which is basically from the UEFA's FFP remit. Um, why should it be different? I don't know if it should be different, really. Surely the same high standards should be aspired yeah. to and, and insisted upon for every every football league club. But anyway, there we go. Raymond. Well, uh, uh, picking up on that point first, uh, of course, the, the Saudi owners of, of Newcastle got turned down initially by the Premier League, so mm-hmm. uh, they had to restructure the whole thing. It's such a shame that they let it go through a second time. But actually, what I was going to say was, uh, Brighton losing to Walton under Brian Club was a fairly dire moment, mm-hmm. and probably and probably the low of his managerial career, or even more so than the eight-two against Bristol yeah. Rovers. Yeah. yeah, well, I think so because it was you know they, they were you know, a lower league side, and I think the ignominy <laughs> of it meant that Club wanted to decided going down south was not a good idea. It's all it's notwithstanding, right? Because he scored. Four goals against us when Middlesbrough beat us six four in that first first season in um, what was then League Two, now the Championship, having scored five goals against us in yeah, a nine nil yeah. win in the it, first it, match of that season. It is all relative because on, on that North Stand chat debate sparked a, a sort of like a mini discussion about well, how do you quantify the worst? What, what is the idea? Um, and actually, um, the aforementioned wedge was. I remember him seething, absolutely seething, about a game. I think it was in League 
was it in League One when we were starting to turn things around? And then we just did not turn up at Carlisle. I think we lost 3 1. Mm. And he said it was the most abject performance in terms of effort, cohesion, yeah. and any kind of focus at all that he'd ever seen. Which I was there that day. That was dreadful. Yeah. And I mean, when you when you factor in the travel involved to go from Brighton, let's assume most fans are coming from somewhere in Sussex or thereabouts, or at least London, you know, in your case, Peter, um, all the way up to Carlisle to see that bad a performance where the players don't look like they even can be bothered. That surely is worse than a cup set where, you know, we, we just got caught being casual. Yeah. And this, and this, and this context has been around it, even with results, because I think the worst I've ever felt after a win was on that hoppy hoppy season when we beat Wigan one nil and we snuck, we, we, Wigan were also rubbish and we scored in about the second minute and then were absolutely awful for, for the 88 minutes. They, they did everything but score. We just sat back and held on desperately. And it, and it kind of at the end, you were like, well, that hasn't really solved anything except got us three points and it's probably kept Hoppy in a job for a bit longer. And it was, it's the most fed up, you know, normally after a win, even if it's a poor performance, you're, you're on a high because we won. But I just felt really down after that win because, you know, Hoopy was clearly not the option there. He wasn't the answer. And we were so dreadful in winning. It was just, yeah, we, we got completely outplayed by a team who were bottom at the time pretty much. And yeah, didn't deserve a win. It was great. I think this deserves further discussion in the summer, maybe when we do one of our summer pods, uh, you know, worst ever, whatever's or best ever thing, you know, <laughs> Isn't it? Stay tuned for that one, folks. That should be a short one. How many? How many weeks are we putting aside for that episode? Yeah, well, we can make it an eight-parter, can we? There's so many abject performances, so little time. Uh, um, so, in terms of, um, we want to move the discussion on to talk about other things for the weekend. Ivan Tony. Now, obviously, he's been banned from eight months for what was it two hundred thirty something betting offences. Which is kind of, you know, interesting. There's two or three things I want to talk about with regard to this. First of all, apparently he always scores against Forest. So I should have, I should have predicted him to score, should have put bets on it, et cetera. Uh, and of course, sure enough, he did score against them and they got the win. So he's, he's already had a key role in making a difference as soon as he's come back to a Brentford side that I don't think will go down because of the quality of the three teams that have come up plus the, implosion of one team at the moment which we're quite smiling about and the possible points deduction of two other teams Everton who have already had a points deduction and are now facing a potential other one either this season or next and Forrest who are also in the firing line but nonetheless you know he's made an immediate difference but he was um fated as this great you know this grand returning hero almost the way it was billed at the grounds with the crowd billboards outside this that and the other um, it was mentioned by Rory Smith on the Monday Night Club on BBC. I think we might have lost Russ. Yeah, it's not it's not you, Raymond. I think we might have lost Russ for a little bit. Yes. He's just yeah. completely frozen. So uh, <laughs> just carry on the uh, even Tony, I, I, even Tony conversation. Anyone got any thoughts on him? I, I think it was just. At, at the whole adulation bit, and I, and I use that word deliberately, um, I thought was disgraceful. I mean, the guy, you know, it wasn't just four or five bets or a dozen bets or a couple of dozen bets. It was you know, some huge number. And, uh, you know, I just thought it was a ridiculous thing. I think, you know, a low profile, he's going back, let's hope he's learned his lesson, see how he goes, would have been sufficient and would have 
But there was this sort of adulation about him, and it was inevitable that he was going to actually score um, score a goal, wasn't it? Um, the fact that the goal he scored, as far as I can make out, I've only seen it once, so I didn't really get a chance to look at it closely. But he, the ball's the thing, the mark's put down, the ball's put down. He then moves the ball. He then seemed to move the the marker that the, that the ref put down to, to make it further over and then moves the ball again. So if he was cheating, and certainly uh, Jack Phillips' father, you know, Graham, thought he was cheating and he's a ref, um, then you know, it just shows he hasn't learned his lesson. You know, he's still trying to cheat, having been told, you know, not to do something. And, you know, frankly... I think the PL should have sat on him. They should have seen that, and they should be banning him for, you know, for for another eight months. So well, I, 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 I mean, I just slightly harsh there, Raymond. No, <laughs> I would simply say you haven't learnt your lesson. Therefore, sorry, bingo, you're banned for another eight months. No discussion, done. And he, he I mean, it's just I couldn't believe in the first match back he was trying to, you know, I mean. One thing, moving the ball, but moving the actual part of the, the referee, um, I'm only surprised he didn't actually have one of those things in his own pocket to actually put the spray down. Now, yeah, he looked like he dabbed the, um, the marker, didn't he, as if it was ice cream or something. I was half expecting him to eat it, and then he, he <laughs> brushed it onto the grass. Sorry, I've been, I've been off. I dropped out there. My Wi-Fi went a bit weird, so I don't know how much of what you heard me say earlier was, was true. But, yeah, I mean, he made an impact, didn't he? Yeah, I, I made it. I mean, I what I said, you may not have heard, Russell. Is I thought the adulation was ridiculous, and the fact that he then appears possibly, Christopher Mark only seen it once to have cheated was you know, was not flavorsome. And I mean, strangely enough, none of the Forest players complained about it. So yeah, um, well, Peter, I mean, he's a bit of a cad, isn't he? He's a bit of a character, Ivan Tony. Yeah. I think he's got a bit of attitude, hasn't he? I've noticed in some of his interviews, he comes across well in general, articulate enough, makes his points, seems reasonable, but he seemed quite snippy about the way he got banned before. He didn't initially admit the charges, and then he did. It kind of feels as if he's a bit of an unsavoury, slightly villainous character now. Is he moving that way? Yeah, I think he. I think the way he's behaved around the, the return has been pretty unimpressive to Venice. He's like... His ego has obviously kind of got a lot in the way, and it probably hasn't been helped by the fact Brentford has struggled without him. So yeah. he's probably now, now completely... And he seems to regard himself as being bigger than Brentford anyway. He's like now deigning to stay for the rest of the season, but he's almost certainly going to push for a move in the summer, which, considering they basically made him and stood by him for eight months, is, is a bit rubbish. Arsenal, isn't he? If they yeah. Can... And I, I th- to be honest, the free-kick thing, I thought Forrest were a bit dozy anyway, to be honest. What, what on earth Hudson-Odoi was doing standing a little bit from the wall. I'm not quite sure what his position was, point no, of that no, was. No one seemed to be looking at what was happening. No. Was there is, apparently you can move it a little bit. You can move the ball a little bit. Whether he moved it more than you're allowed to, I, well, he, I don't he, know. I, don't, I didn't he know he could move it. He very matter-of-factly said, oh, you can move it a yard, can't yeah. you? He said it as if that was a fact. It was quite amusing. And then Sam Smith on Sky Sports was going, oh, I believed him, because he said it with such conviction. She's not the greatest pundit, to be honest. But he also, in another interview, said he, you, you're allowed to move it half a yard. So he suddenly toned down what he was saying. You I can think, now move it 20 yards. <laughs> <laughs> you were not allowed to move the ball. 
from where it's stipulated. I mean, you can move it within the arc, I suppose, of the spray. Yeah, so no, that's, that's what I was kind of getting at. I wasn't actually spray. taking this so much. You can move it within, I think, within the arc because, like, you can move it on a penalty spot. Presumably, on a penalty, you can move the ball onto around the penalty spot when you, you're positioning it, yeah. can't you? As long as it's still on the spot, same with yeah. the corner. But the, the the issue for me is partly, yeah, partly is obviously whether it's, yeah, I don't think he moved obviously excessively, even if you can move it a little bit within the arc. It was definitely not right, and he shouldn't have done well, it. But do also, Forrest the arc itself. Yeah. <laughs> but Forrest also were dozy, and they should have just woken up to it. And what Hudson Odoi was exactly doing, I don't know. But he, had a, he was standing there randomly with a massive gap. He wasn't covering anyone. There wasn't any point to him being there. And the keeper was just completely in no man's land. Just not really, you know. Kind of, I thought they they weren't. They didn't help themselves, Forrest. I'm not defending. Tony's actions and that sort of thing. I think he, yeah, he probably did cheat overall and it, and it isn't a good look. But also, can I just say on a, on a separate note, what a goal from Mope. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Sub- subject to VAR, but eventually approved. And yeah, yeah. it's funny because it looked initially like it might have hit his arm, but then it, in the end, he looked at it and he replayed it looked clearly like it didn't. It kind yeah, of like he got his arm really out of the way really well, actually. He pulled his arm out of the way. Mm. And then, yeah, did, yeah that, what a finish. Just a sort of goal he, he likes scoring, you know, not yeah, one he has time to think about. Instinctive, yeah. And he scored five goals on loan to them from Everton in, is it 14 games or something? I can't remember what it is. He, he's, he's got, he, you know, his ratio, is some, yeah. somehow he just fits with Brentford, doesn't he? So the irony is, if they did sell Tony, if they could get a half-decent, exciting young player to slowly integrate into the team, and if Morpé can go on a permanent deal next season... And I'm assuming they'll survive in the Premier League. Um, yeah. Morpé actually might be part of the equation. Because we've in- talked about players being missing, but obviously Brentford have lost Raya. They've lost Henry this season for most of the actual season. And Buemo's been out for like a month and a half now since he played. we played them, and he's going to be out for quite a lot longer. They are some crucial players. They've lost Norgard for a couple of games recently, including against us. And Jensen, I think, missed our game as well, didn't he? So they've been missing like as many players as we have recently. They've had a big injury list, and and obviously Tony all season as well. Yeah. They, they've had a lot of injury problems, and which is why they're struggling, because they've got a far better squad and a great manager, really. So they, they would much higher up if they get players back. They've got, what's his name? The uh, the guy who was at um, Hull, who I, who I gave a quite a high rating to. Oh, uh, yeah. He's here. Yeah, he missed a couple of chances at the weekend. Yeah. Um, he's 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 fulfilling the value I predicted, though. Now, isn't he? At least we can say that maybe. Um, but um, one team that uh, I mean is in the same category as Brentford in terms of position in the table, <laughs> geography <laughs> within the country as well. Crystal Palace and um, Crystal Palace are um, basically um, in shit. turmoil. They're, they're they're shit at the moment. They're in turmoil. They've had some injury troubles. Of course they have. Elise is now out with a hamstring issue at the moment. Um, and um, obviously, Eze, he was out earlier. Then when he came back, Eze got injured. When Eze came back, he got injured. So they've had some minor injury problems. They've had – well, we, we did the Palace preview with our uh, our mate Toby, um, our new mate Toby. And he um, he was saying – Decore's yeah, out as well now for the season, isn't he? Yeah, Decore. Yeah, they have had their injury issues, I have to say, to be fair to them. But – it shows the lack of depth in their squads and it shows the lack of direction. And I think what's happened is this has come to a head, hasn't it, this season? Because they've they've done the standstill thing of keeping Roy Hodgson, bring him back in after they'd sacked him because they weren't going anywhere with him. They brought him back in after another experiment. 
and it's going nowhere again. And because of the way the season's going in the Premier League, you've got three almost dead cert newbies who are going straight back down, probably, notwithstanding the, the points deduction scenario with a couple of other clubs. It seems unlikely, despite everything, that Palace would go down, or Brentford, even if they sold Tony in this window. And yet, Palace are feeling the pinch. They're feeling the pain, aren't they, of what we're doing. The fact we've been the first of the two to get into Europe, to see how well we're doing, even with loads of home draws and disappointing scores overall, we are still in that, what I would call, secondary category of class within the Premier League in terms of status, positions in the table, etc. And that must hurt them. And I would feel as as pained as they are feeling in that same situation. And I don't think really it's the right thing to compare them with us. If you take the rivalry out of the equation, that wouldn't be the right comparison. But if you compare Palace with, for example, Bournemouth or... Um, uh, or, maybe, Brentford. or Brentford. Or, or Brentford, actually. Yeah, notwithstanding the season. I, I think... That's where the, the comparison should lie. And if you do make that comparison, you still have to say Palace have got a pretty good point. They are standing still. And as we all know, standing still in the Premier League is a dangerous game to play. Um, banners uh, away at Arsenal. It's obviously not about the Arsenal game. It's about stuff before Arsenal. It's about the lack of direction, focus, structure. There, there doesn't seem to be a project. Um, there doesn't seem to be a plan. Parrish is the chairman and he's a part owner. The Americans have come in. They are key holder uh, owners as well, aren't they, as well? And it doesn't seem as if they've got the sort of finances that they first seem to have had. They've also got investment in Leon and Botafogo. You know, where are their priorities? Where are their interests? Where are their, uh, where, where is their focus? There doesn't seem to be a plan, does there, overall? Um, I'm delighting in it, obviously, as a Brighton fan. But, Peter, what's your thoughts on this overall? Because there's so... so- Get into on this, and you're yeah. Talk a couple about it, of, you? I suppose, points as to why I think. Obviously, they had a four-year head start on us in the Premier League, and yeah. obviously had been a Premier League club before, whereas we hadn't been be um, and hadn't been a top-flight well, right? side for a long time. Um, but I think the one difference is you look what happened with Vieira. Um, I'll ignore De Boer because he was obviously seen as massively out of his depth straight away. But yeah. Vieira had a a pretty poor run under. Uh, where, where he lost a lot of games by one goal to quite good teams, you know, teams in the top half. Hodgson then was then brought back in and, and obviously had a really good run in the last season, but against teams who were pretty poor, who were down the bottom, I think they won like the first three games against the bottom, what eventual bottom three. And that, I think, is, you know, kind of a sign of how, you know, the difference is when Potter had some truly awful runs with us, we kept by him. He didn't win in nine games. He... He he didn't win. He lost six in a row. And even just before that last run that we had, he lost six in a row and then drew it home to Norwich. You know, we, we had a load of bad runs under him. We didn't win at home for that lockdown season. We didn't win at home until end of January or sort of thing. Um, yeah, we stuck by him with that. And then instead of going, considering going back to an old manager, equivalent is us going back to Hewton and saying, well, actually, you know, we want to stabilise things. We'll go back to Hewton. Instead, once... When having two weeks to actually sort out a manager, we went and brought De Zerbi in because we had plans in place. We knew exactly what was going to happen if Potter went. Whereas Palace took, had all summer to find a new manager. You know, fair enough if you bring Hodgson back for half a season to stabilise. But they had all summer to find a new manager and they didn't. They stuck with Hodgson. And that's a major reason. The other big stat that I noticed this week is that they haven't, the only team to not have an under 21 start 
a game in the Premier League this season. When you compare that to us having more Premier League un- under eight or eight teenagers scoring in the Premier League yeah. than most, every other team put together, stat, it, it shows you the complete difference between the two yeah. clubs. Yeah, and um, given the catchment area they're in in South London, the amount they can that they can and they have previously tried to put on emphasis in terms of the academy and lots of talent coming through. Mm. And yeah, you can't capture everyone, Chelsea and whoever else are going to nab some of them, but you can get some of that talent through. And it doesn't seem to have worked. Torrick Mitchell's had an injury. They've got this young lad, Richard, who seemed to make a couple of bad mistakes against Arsenal. Um, speaking of managers and speaking of Arsenal, a certain Mr. Graham Potter was in the uh, was in the stadium for their game at the weekend uh, with his two sons. Are they twins, by the way? They look very similar. Anyway, um, is Graham Potter going to Palace? Is that a a pre-planning for a, a later appointment? Is he coming in soon? Is he, Are they going to sack Hodgson? Or is he coming in in the summer? Or is it complete red herring? Who knows? Maybe Raymond's the man to ask because he's waving his finger. He wants to talk. Go on, Raymond, talk well, away. Well, I think, I, I mean, Potter, I think, would be not an unreasonable candidate for them. Whether Potter would want the job, how popular he Potter would remain. He's not, not sure what his popularity with Brighton fans is. I don't think he could feel any more heat than he did against the when he turned up with Chelsea. Chelsea debacle. But having said that, of course, there is another manager, uh, ex-Brighton manager now available at Palace Wanton, and that's Chris Hewton. It's sad to to see that he apparently has been lost the Garner job. Um, Oh, right. Hmm. Which I I saw today, just a headline on. Isn't that Hodgson Mark II, though, for them? I think that's the way they'd probably see it, wouldn't they? I think they'd be looking at Potter. They'll be looking at Cooper, who's available. So both of those make financial sense from the, you know, no complication point of view. But it's interesting that you know, Forrest, notwithstanding their naivety um, against Brentford, they still you know, drew the game. And uh, did, they drew it, didn't they? They lost. Uh, they lost 3-2. It was two all with minutes to go, wasn't it? And, but actually, but Nunes has been doing quite a good job there. With the same material that uh, that Cooper had, one feels that he's got them playing better. So I'm not I'm not sure what Cooper's standing is. I mean, it's a hmm. it's a it's a he's difficult. Quite well, one. there. I, I would question. I, I mean, I, I I would have a, a question mark against him. Uh, I mean, presumably, I mean, Palace wants somebody who is going to be able to cut it in in in, in the Premier League. So. Um, I think that's difficult, but but who they'll go for, I don't know. I mean, I mean I'm going to bring you in, Alan, on this now as well. But I mean, we talked about Cooper, we talked about Albion connections, Potter. You've got um, uh, Luke Williams, who's just um, he, he's, he's taken the, he's done a fantastic job at Notts County, and he's now taken the job back at Swansea, where he was in a more a junior role before. You've got Russell Martin, who doesn't have an Albion connection in terms of the club, but he's a Brighton boy, he's a Brighton fan, and he, he runs an academy in the local area who's doing a fantastic job with Southampton. Could Potter, Cooper, um, Williams, or, or um, who I just said, I've gone out of my head already. Um, Luke Williams, who said no. Said, oh, no, sorry, he... yeah. Um, the other one was Liam Brasilia, oh. who's doing a good job with Hull, again, a Brighton connection. Or someone who doesn't have a Brighton connection, which would probably suit Palace more. Um, someone like um, Lampard with Ipswich. Lampard? 
Well, Lam- Lampard's terrible. I would not go for. I would be furious if I was a Palace fan. I think McKenna wouldn't be till the end of the season, though, would it? Because I don't think he'll oh, go while he's on the Yeah, no chance. And I think Ipswich have a good chance of going up in the playoffs. Um, even if they don't, I'm wondering if he might see it as business unfinished as well. He might stick with them. We don't know what sort of character he is. But all of those, there's a lot of good potential young managers that would fit the bill. Would they go there? Because the, the problem is the perception of Palace's lack of ambition, lack of finance, lack of focus, isn't it? Alan, over to you, sir. Well, I mean, you're talking about Albion connections. I think he is a manager you, uh, you, you, haven't, you haven't named, really, which, which I think would actually suit Palace down to the ground. Got an Albion connection, looking for a job. Uh, I would like to put forward Sammy Hoopio. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just pretty choking on my wrist here. Give me a moment. <laughs> to be fair, he couldn't do worse than De Boer, could he? So, what about actually? Yeah, that's true. He, he was ahead of his time a little bit, I think. We hadn't quite got the players to play the sort of way he wanted. Well, his fullbacks were ahead of his team, that's for sure. <laughs> anyway, no, the, the other thing I wanted to mention was that uh, an interesting uh, benchmark for us will be, I think, our under-21s are playing. Palace is under-21s uh, in the next few days. It's the next game. So, uh, and it's, uh, I think it's away at uh, wherever Crystal Palace play. I think, Incidentally, I think I'll South East London. Just as an aside, I just saw that our women were... Uh, currently drawing nil all with Charlton in the. Uh, I don't know if the matches have kicked off yet, but uh, uh, or just started at seven o'clock. I think it started at seven, Charlton. didn't it? Well, talking about yeah. um, talking about that stuff. I mean, the women's team got through. Admittedly, it's a bit of a scrape, but they got through against Bristol City, which is a key result for them. Three-two um, in the ends, they were three-one up. Um, so they they've distanced themselves. I think by they're six points ahead of the relegation zone, which is good. It's looking good so far in what, remember, is quite a short season in terms of games, um, in terms of survival again. And Melissa Phillips is doing a good job, and I think it's going to take time. And we've got some interesting signings. We've got some other new signings coming along, which is nice. The under-21s, Harry Howells, and I can't remember the name of the other guy, we've got two 15-year-olds who are regularly... Simmons, is, he, is that Simmons? Simmons, Simmons, Simmons yeah. Simmons, Simmons and Howells, who are playing regularly for the under-21s. They're only 15. And I know part of that's due to do with loans and people on the bench for the seniors and various other things, but still quite impressive for the future. Yeah, and actually it's quite a good chance to mention the fact that, of course, they're playing Wickham next week in the quarterfinals of the EFL Trophy as well. And the other one that seems to be mentioned quite a lot, I think he's maybe 16, is Joe Knight. As well, he's been mentioned yeah. a few times as coming on for the under-21s and looking really good as well. So... We've got well, some, well, of course, I mean, it's a lot of these young, you know, the actual under-21s are playing for the first-team squad. So, you know, it gives opportunities to younger players to come in and play above their level, and they seem to be really stepping up, generally. So, I saw um, Knight playing in a couple of games. One of them was, was in the international competition that we were playing. I, I can't remember which foreign club it was playing, but Knight looked really good. I, I was very impressed with him. Um, in, in midfield, he, he looked... One of those players who seemed to have time when he was on the ball. You know, more time than other players, if that makes sense. So hope, hopefully, we'll, now, now Hinchelwood's come through, we'll have more and more kind of actually locally born players who've come through the academy. So of course, we're only just getting to the point where these players joined the academy when we really opened it and restarted it. So, you know, up to now, it's been players who've maybe joined at like 15 who've kind of become the ones who joined when we had an academy. But now there's like the actual Trudy Yo, the really. The, the ones who are like Hinchelwood's age actually joined when we pretty much opened the academy up. 
So yeah. it's, yeah, it's it, hopefully it'll be a much more of a kind of, yeah, conveyor belt now coming through. Incidentally, um, Howells is a cousin of Hinshelwood. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, I, I picked because, up on this the other day. Because his, his father is married to Adam's sister, Adam yeah. Hinshelwood's sister. So you know, the good thing is he's got a lot of people in the game around him. You know, his father was on Arsenal's books. He played in some of the lower leagues a little bit. Um, obviously, his his uncle manages Worthing. He's got obviously Jack playing at Brighton. So you know, there is that sort of footballing family, and I would like to think he'll keep his feet on the ground because of that. Yeah, and um, the other thing on on Russell Martin, by the way, he was on BBC Five Live. I can't remember which episode it was of Football Daily, and he he did flag up uh, his Brighton connection. Actually, he did mention growing up in Brighton and seeing how the te- that team has evolved. He was he was asked about the comparison with how Southampton might do versus Brighton, I think, or something like that. And he he did kind of distance himself from that notion because he realizes that's a whole different ball game. But um, it was quite nice to hear him mention. The Albion as well, in in context of his current job, yeah, uh, Peter. Um, just on the mention of, of signings, we were talking about as well. We're on the we're looking at an Australian goalkeeper, from the sound of it. So add to our list of young keepers, and what made you think of it was, despite <laughs> the fact that Stamson beat Swansea three one at the weekend. Apparently, Brushworth was in team of the week for one of the, the championship teams mm-hmm. of the week because he played so well against Southampton. Beadle made his, his from him recently. Yeah, Beadle made his debut for Sheffield Wednesday against Coventry. Um, apparently did okay, and then obviously Sherpin's injured now, but he's still got the. And it's like we've got basically a conveyor belt of young keepers who are, you know, we're full of. There's so many of them. Well, we're on we're on such a high. This seems the perfect moment to really drag it all back down, doesn't it? You mentioned Coventry Wednesday. There was, of course, the spectre of racism popped up again in that game. Casey Palmer being abused with monkey gestures. How very 1970s um, by a couple of Sheffield Wednesday morons. And also there was an incident in, in Italy as well, Udine, uh, uh, where Udinese fans were abusing uh, one of the Milan players, a goalkeeper, I think. Um, the, we've had that as well. Uh, it's not going away, is it? which is pretty annoying. Um, well, repulsive, actually. Um, they need to clamp down more. There's not enough being said or done, is there? There's lots of lip service, lots well, of well, people saying the right things, but nothing's actually happening, is it, really? With, with Udinese, the next home game is uh, without a crowd, so that's yes. a crowd. Yeah. And I, I think you know, if the case is proven in the Sheffield Wednesday uh, thing, I think the same thing should happen. Either one or two home games, no crowd. Yeah, make those people the villains. Make everyone else in the crowd not like them, not want them there. Yeah, that's, it does seem. On the one hand, it seems crazy to ban everyone for the next game for the one person. On the other side. Is it, if it's the only way of actually stopping these morons doing it, yeah. then I'd actually rather have Sheffield Wednesday's ground be empty, you know, barring away fans even next game. Everyone else is not allowed in. And exactly, this guy then becomes an actual villain because he's, you know, there's one of the Chillingham earlier in the year. They did, there was a guy completely racially abusing yeah. um, the Newport player, wasn't it? Bogle got That's like cool. literally a guy like jumping down in front of him. Yeah. And it, I mean, if those people feel empowered enough to do that in a public space, Fully visible, fully on TV. I mean, both incidents were captured, the Gillingham one and the Wednesday one, albeit the Wednesday one was from a different angle, uh, not one of the main cameras. But nonetheless, though they're, they're being captured on film. It's obvious that they're likely to be captured on film when they're doing it. They must know that. 
And if they feel empowered enough to still go ahead and do it, yes, they should become the villains to that degree. Um, there was one other downbeat thing I was going to talk about, but Peter, is this on the same subject? I was going to say Sheffield Wednesday also have a bit of form this year because they it was them who were abusing um, Bradley Lowry when Sunderland played them as well and mocking yeah. his, Sheffield Wednesday so-called supporters mocking his death as well. So they're a lovely bunch, obviously, you know. Yeah, really nice, really nice. You feel, you feel definitely if enough of those things happen, two or three incidents in a season, then you should have at least one game where you can't have any fans. And, yeah. you know, if, if anyone has any issues, take it up with these morons who behave like that. Yeah, you've got to clamp down on it, really. And um, on this on this mammoth episode, well, it is, it's a couple of weeks, so, but yeah, a couple of other people on the name of speak. Sorry, yeah, go on. No, so what I was going to say is um, if the club suggested to all the other fans that, that you know, they're upset that they didn't get their value for money. That they actually approach approach the two thugs and ask them for to, to pay for their seat <laughs> or the match they don't go to. Yeah, and that yeah. is sort of a you know, minimum of twenty pounds times ten thousand. So I think, think they might actually, you know, uh, think twice. That'd yeah. be a couple of hundred thousand quid. Thank you very much. And bankruptcies. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, the, the final point I was going to make, actually, in general terms. Uh, this week is there's been some sad news that Nuneaton Borough are on the brink of liquidation and also Taunton Town apparently are very close to similar scenario as well. They've had a winding up petition that may go so who was that? Taunton Town and Nuneaton <laughs> Borough, two pretty prominent names within non-league football, especially Nuneaton Borough. Um, aren't they Nuneaton Town now as well? Aren't they? Didn't oh, they, they change their name? Yeah, they might have done, when, yeah. When they reformed, I think. But yeah, it's a real shame, really sad to see. Because, I mean, as we know from our experiences of going to non-league games, it's like, you know, the, the heartbeat of football and it's such a, yeah, such a great day out. It's, it's a real shame when losing any club. Yeah. We're big fans of non-league football, aren't we, Peter? As, uh, as, as regulars will know from this podcast. And we'll probably do another excursion, I'm sure, somewhere fairly soon. Um, but anyway, that pretty much rounds it up. Any further business anybody wanted to discuss mm-hmm. before we round up? I think that does it, doesn't it, for today? So we talked about the managers. What, what about um, if you think about uh, uh, the the clubs, the, the the younger managers in the club, and people like like Shannon uh, in, in looking after the twenty ones, who seems to be doing a good job. Um, well, they're doing well. Andrew Croft as well. They're they're, yeah, they're playing a good part. I don't know if they're. I don't know where we would see them going. They'll probably go back out somewhere else and learn the trade a bit more um there's a lot of exciting young managers coming through the guy at wednesday looks quite good actually um german guy can't remember his name rule or something i think um kieran mckenna's the obvious one as you were mentioning for palace which is doing a fantastic job yeah i mean luke luke williams is brilliant he's he's really really good they're playing they're all playing football passing out from the back Mm -hmm. Uh, and Kelsey have replaced him with the wheelstone manager as well who's supposed to be really highly rated yes which is an interesting point they always it's a name. I can't remember his name now, but... Uh, I can't remember offhand, but an interesting appointment again. Liam Manning's doing a good job at Bristol City. Watch out for him as well. The guy at QPR might do well, actually, longer term, if they stick with him. There's a lot of good young managers, and there is an essence of going towards, or a notion towards going towards these young academy managers who are a little bit more in touch age-wise with the younger yeah. players. That seems to be more of a pertinent factor nowadays. Enzo Maresca at Leicester as well is doing, obviously, a... Oh, great, great manager, mate of Deserbi, of course, and uh, and of Guardiola too. Yeah. So, about, I mean, I mean, looking overseas, um, the guy at Lens seems to be doing a good job. Yeah, and also and, Real Sociedad as well. 
He looks yeah. good. But also the guy down at, uh, is it Girona or top of the league? La Liga? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, although that's tainted a bit by their part of City group, isn't it? It's not quite the well, it romantic is. story that... It is a bit, but actually, by all accounts, they are doing a lot of that stuff um, not not because of the money necessarily. More, yeah. They've been very well organised, and they're actually doing a lot of dynamic stuff as well. But it's not just about the money, which... Oh, I know, but it's still tainted is, by them being part of it. It's tainted by it, but I'm not sure it's, it's fair to say it's... Oh, um, get, don't get wrong, I'd rather they went in Real Madrid or Barcelona. God, yeah. <laughs> and also... <laughs> Germany, uh, Bayern Munich in second place, seven points behind them. Yeah, uh, Javi Alonso must be about the most exciting young manager in the game at the moment. Yeah, I mean, but, he's going to get the Liverpool job, isn't he, soon? But what I, I don't so. understand is that uh, at the beginning of the season, uh, Tony Bloom had to restructure his uh, his arrangement to go down to 25% with with, um, with USG in, in, in Belgium. And um, yet, City have not had to restructure their ownership power group. Because their other teams haven't been in Europe, that's why. Yeah. But but Girona's in Europe, isn't it? Well not 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 they're not now they're not. No, they will be next season if they win the league, but they're not at the moment. Yeah, true. Interesting times. There's a lot going on. And the Basque thing about managers from the Basque region is incredible. The Real Sociedad manager looks pretty good. Xavi Alonso's great. Uh, you've obviously got the, the, the Bournemouth manager, Ariola, um, and there's two or three others. Oh, um, Unai, Unai Emery, who's done a superb job at Villa. I know they've got money, but nonetheless, he's done a brilliant job, hasn't he? Has to be said. It's, it's, a, it's a, it's a real rich hunting ground for, um, for talent, managerial and coaching talent. Peter? It's incredible to think compared to like the number of people in that, in that region compared to the, to England and how few truly, you know, great English options. I mean, on the basis that Southgate maybe leaves this summer, potentially after the Euros. If we want an English manager, there's really only Howe and Potter, I'd say, who are in any way qualified to over to take it on from him. And even they neither of them have won the thing. Uh, so it's like it is a you know, Potter really failed in his one big job and and Howe is struggling a little bit at Newcastle now, although he did do well last season. It really it's 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 just, you know, shocking that we've got so few, you know, look at Italy as well. The number of managers, Italian managers around the world who are incredible and have massive names. And you compare it to over here and it, we just don't have, partly because Premier League clubs don't tend to appoint English managers, but then partly the other way around because English managers don't tend to be good enough as well. And it's, you know, we, we, we're really short of English quality English managers compared to a lot of the other countries in Europe. I could see Beheady Howe getting the England job quite soon. And if he does, because he's probably been sacked by that point from, by Newcastle, there's a lot of talk in senior media, media circles about Jose Mourinho, who's been sacked by Roma, ha ha ha, um, who I find the most objectionable. I think I've used the C word on this podcast to describe him in the past. I cannot abide the man anymore, to be honest. Uh, but I could see well, him. Well, perhaps he'll go to Palace. Perhaps Marina will go to Palace. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know whether to laugh or cry if that happens. Would that be good or bad? I don't know. I don't know. It would give you an extra reason for not liking Palace, wouldn't it? As would Potter's appointments. <laughs> I have to say, though, I think Mar- I do want Mourinho to get Premier League job now that he's left Roma. I was hoping we'd get Roma so I could see Mourinho against De Zerbi on the touchline. But now I'm out to like, <laughs> hope he gets a Premier League appointment because that would be a, a truly entertaining... Op- where what- Just watching them, let alone the game, would be kind of very entertaining, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Incidentally, there seems to have been some kind of noise about Newcastle having to... Uh, make some sales. Yes. 
And yeah. I don't know how much there's behind that, but uh, so if they are going to uh, at last start uh, enforcing uh, financial fair play properly, then it doesn't matter how rich you are, and you can be Saudi Arabia or whoever, if you can only work within certain criteria, then that's going to be a good thing. And I'd be, I, I would applaud that. Otherwise, you can't come in and just pump in millions and, and find that you can therefore get to the top of the league. I think and, the, the chickens are coming home to roost, aren't they, in this financial scenario now? There's lots of, lots of interesting... So obviously, the Man City thing is a much bigger scale scenario, and eventually something's going to to roost on that one. But Forest, Everton, maybe there's other clubs sitting in the background, Newcastle, for example, that might come into that equation. Uh, we've got to wrap up in a minute, but Peter, you wanted to have a quick word on that. Yeah, well. right, I want to close on two points then in that case. One, yeah. that's why the transfer window has been really quiet, I think, because there are a lot of teams that are struggling. Two, just to close on a little bit of a rant, Everton oh, fans, yes. they're like, Everton fans on their bloody high horse about how they've been punished and all that sort of thing. It's absolute bollocks. It's like literally they've broken the rules so many times and all they can do is like moan about how they're being treated unfairly. It's like, well, City are going to get punished at some point. It's just they've got a lot more charges. It doesn't defend you breaking the rules. And teams like us and Brentford, who stuck by the rules, and Fulham and teams like that, who've followed the rules and done our, you know, done our bit, why should we be punished just because you've done less bad things than City? You still broke yeah. the bloody rules. But it serves punished. you right. We're being punished in terms of opportunity. If we, yeah, do, if we yeah. don't do what they do and we sit there and take it and they get away with what they've done and we, we're, yeah. we're lowering the table because of them having gaining an unfair advantage, yeah, I'm not happy with that. So I, I, I fully agree with that. They got what they deserved. And Absolutely. yeah, you Good can't run, overspend please. for years without, you know, without exactly everything going wrong. Good rant. A good way to end it. Raymond, uh, Alan, Peter, thank you for joining me, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank yes, you very thank much. You. Very good. Yeah. Really? Most enjoyable. Thank you, Russell. And uh, gentlemen, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.